19. Let's go back a slide, please. Well, pull it up on your note. There it is. All right, let's all say it together. One, two, three. And I pray, you're not saying it. All right, one, two, three. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. What a powerful scripture. The whole idea is that we're to be rooted in love. Now I want to We've been picking this scripture apart and trying to highlight different portions. I want to draw your attention to this idea. The root is not love. The root is not love. We're to be rooted in love. Love is the soil. Love is the culture. Love is what the roots dig down deep into. And the deeper you go into love, love becomes this barrier that makes it harder and harder and harder for you to get uprooted out of love. Love is not the root. It's, it's the ground that we're to be planted in. You being rooted and established in love. I want you to know that when we get there, love can still move mountains. We walked into a... We're, if I'm a little horse, I was praying all night last night, most of the night, uh, there at the football stadium. And, you know, there are going to be some people that are going to look at last night, and they're going to be Pharisees. And they're going to say, well, you only had 30,000 and not 60. There were 30,000 people. In what is the temple of Oklahoma. I want you to think about this. There's probably more worship that happens on those grounds than happens on this one. They will scream and shout. I'm one of them. As an air-filled pigskin moves up and down the field. They will walk up flights of stairs to get to seats at the highest point in a stadium to watch guys on a field hit each other. And they will shout. And they will be so determined to see what's going on on the field that they will bring binoculars. And yet God is right next to us and we fail to see what he is doing. 30,000 people got into that stadium. And I was on the field when Mr. Nick Hall gave the call for people to accept Christ. And they killed the lights and in Gen Z fashion used the flashlights on their phones to say, I am stepping out of the dark into the light of Christ. And my wife and I stood there and spun around and our eyes filled with tears as we saw light bulbs everywhere on all sides and in front of us. So let me just say to those that want to be Pharisees and judge and say you didn't hit the mark, they shot an arrow and they hit a target. And if one would have come, that one would have been enough. Do you know that it only takes one to send heaven into a party? 
Yeah, only one. But there were so many. We were up in a, the press box. And someone came and said, we're online right now. They're, how they were doing ministry, a lot of ministry was done via chat. And they came to us and said, we need you guys to pray, all of you guys to pray right now because we're chatting with someone who is contemplating suicide right now. Last night. And how did that happen? Because one man was having coffee. One dude was having coffee. Looking into his senior year, wondering what his life was going to be when he graduated. And while having coffee, he says, I heard this phrase, fill the stadium. And he called a friend who was out for the summer in another part of the country. And that friend was just trying to unplug, and he was doing some ministry at a camp. And so this young man said, well, I'm not going to bother you with what the Lord has told me, but I'll tell you when we get back, when you get back in the fall. Well, he was meeting a guy named Nick Hall. And so when this young man gets back, he and his buddy, they get together, and he tells him, this is what the Lord has told me, and I don't know how, this is crazy. Well, while the, the other young man was there, a minister was speaking to him about having crazy, audacious faith that God was looking for people who would believe for the impossible. And then he comes back, and he's presented with something impossible. He said, let's pray. And that, too, grew into a group of about 20. And if you go to my Facebook page, I've got a picture of the group, the small group of students that started in September to believe that they could do something impossible with God. And they prayed, and they prayed, and they prayed. And I got to speak with the young man I'm talking about, Josh, uh, for just a few moments. And I asked him what, first of all, I praised him for the humility. I mean, the dude's just a humble kid. I mean, just straight up, doesn't care about his name even getting out there. He's wanting to see a revival hit his campus. He's wanting the revival to be his legacy. And I said, what is it that's motivating you? And without batting an eye, he said, God's love. It's all about God's love. And my generation doesn't know what love is. Because they're closed, they've closed their heart to God. I was ready to sign a commitment card right there. And then he began to share the story on Wednesday night. We were up in the Santee Lounge, which if you are a historic Sooner fan, you should know the tradition of that lounge. It is, it is pretty hallowed ground for Sooner football uh, people. Um, it's very exclusive. Um, not just anybody can get up in there. And these kids were meeting for prayer on the South Oval, prayer and worship on Wednesday nights on the South Oval. And then someone gave them a, a, a room uh, with 75 that would seat 75, and they, had, they crammed 120-some in there, so they had to give them another room. Oh, yeah, they didn't ask for permission for the other room. They just went ahead and took it and assumed that they could have it. <laughs> and found out later the administrators were like, yeah, sure, what's the problem? And so what started as in a room for 75, they then filled up a room for hundreds. And then they went to another venue for a worship night, and thousands of kids showed up. And then they decided to take the big step and go to the administration and tell them their dream. This part I didn't know until a few days ago. I did not know. I knew that, th that I knew that people 
uh, had told them it's impossible, it's never going to happen. You've heard us talk about that. Only two times has that stadium been used for something other than sports or school-related. Um, Toby Keith's relief concert for one of the more tornadoes, and then U2 was there and did a concert, um, which I'm still was in Dallas speaking, and I didn't get to go. But anyway, I'm still a little sore on that. Got to get healed in my soul, I guess. And they told them, there's no way it's going to happen. They were told no 50 times. 50 times they walked into that administrative office. They sent emails and texts. 50 times they were told no, and they did not give up. In fact, the administration came back to them and said, hey, what about Lloyd Noble? You know, that's 11,000. And without batting an eye, the two of them said, no, God said the stadium. He didn't say the arena. How many times does it take you to give up? Now, I don't know if this is the reason why, but on the 50th time, he thought, I'll do something I've never done, I haven't done before. He walked into the administrative offices of the University of Oklahoma with flowers. Wow, what, what site that must have been. Hi, we want to rent the stadium, please, for a worship and prayer event. <laughs> and then, of course, not too long ago, the stadium gave them the agreement. But they didn't even believe the kids could come up with the money because the kids had no money. Yeah. They just had a word. And they weren't going to let mountains get in the way of their movement. And so they got in touch. This young man, the second young man got in touch with Nick Hall, who runs a ministry called Pulse that these guys are, are tied into. So glad to have them today. Aren't you glad to know we're a part of the body of Christ and we don't even know our brothers yet? So don't let that end today without getting to know them and bless them, all right? Um, but so Nick hears about it. And Nick begins to tell them, we have been strategizing, and we were about to launch a plan on how to reach Oklahoma University, and now you call us? Well, instead of starting with the plan they had been strategizing for, they send some people to Norman, meet with these young people, and before it was all said and done, Nick says, I'm putting our stuff on hold, and we're going to back up what they're wanting to do. And even he had times of question, where he talked to uh, the chairman of his board and said, do you really think, do you really think we should... You really think this should? You think we should pull out? And then the stadium comes, and they give them tickets, and the tickets sell out in a matter of days. And he said, "Well, I guess it's going to happen." But what if they had let the nose stop their movement? What if they had let the mountain get in their way? What if it's possible? That they were able to have the strength to see something through. That many people did not believe would happen. Yet now stories have come out of the woodwork. Where God has been moving on people for 20 and 30 years. About that night. Josh told me a story about how that. He goes to a church in Norman. And his dad introduced him to some guy. Who was at church that day. An older dude. And said. 
tell him what God's told you to do. And so he just spits it off. You know, the Lord's told me to fill the stadium for an evangelistic outreach event. Blah, 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 blah. And this gentleman turned to him with tears streaming down his face. And he said, it took me five years. But I took my lunch break every Friday. And I snuck into that stadium. And I have anointed every single number of every single seat in that stadium. Because the Lord has told me that a revival is going to start here. I think love can still move mountains. And I want to tell you a story that many of you are familiar with. If you grew up in Sunday school with flannel graph, you've heard the story. But I pray you'll hear it anew today. A couple of points about love can move mountains. First, love, the, de the depths of love are discovered in times of deep division. Think about that. The depths of love are discovered in times of deep division. Those of you that are married, you want to know when you really discover the depth of your love? When there's division between the two of you. When there are issues between the two of you. And what happens a lot of time when we're younger and in love, we don't want to deal with the issues. We just, because we're so in love. You know, love conquers all. And we just shove the issues away. Not realizing that it is a lie of the devil that time heals all wounds. Love heals all That's wounds. Right. That's right. And God can I love this. Nick said this last night. It was one of those I immediately downloaded into my brain. So Nick Hall, I give you credit for this. This was a great line. Love, God can't heal what you keep hidden. That's right. So let's talk about the depths of love being discovered in times of division by telling you a story. I've told you before, the, so I try to teach a little bit of Bible around here. Um, the first four books of the New Testament, okay, are called the Gospels. Everybody agree with me, right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But do you know what the first three are called? They're called the Synoptic Gospels. That means they're similar. They tell the same similar stories. But we've talked about how that the Bible doesn't contradict the Bible has these three guys telling stories about Jesus from different vantage points. So they pick up on different pieces of the story. John is just John. But John primarily focuses on the last stages of Jesus' life. But it's cool when you take a story from the Synoptic Gospels, especially when you realize that it's told in two different books... And if we'll layer them together, we get a better picture of really what's going on. I want to do that for you today. So if you have your note sheets, I've given it to you in what's called a harmony of the Gospels. It's one story, but I'm piecing it together in order. And this story is found in the book of Mark, and it's also found in the book of Luke. So if you've got your Bible app, your app with us today, the New Life app, you can also do notes online there as well. Here we go. Chapter 2, verse 1 of Mark. When Jesus returned to Capernaum, let me tell you something about Capernaum. Um, there, is, there is debate on the importance of Capernaum in Jesus' life. There are some evidence, everybody listening? There is some evidence to back up the idea that Capernaum 
was the base of Jesus' ministry. That perhaps Capernaum became Jesus' hometown. How many of you are, oh, this may be dangerous. How many of you are living right now in the town you were born in? Raise your hand. How many of you would say the Oklahoma City Metro is my home? So your home is not based on where you're born, it's where your roots are. And there are some who there, there is evidence to, to state that Capernaum was Jesus' home, where he stayed. And, and, and okay, there's a reason why I wanted to start there. When Jesus returned to Capernaum several days later, the news quick, quickly spread that he was back home. So for those of you that are used to the NIV or the New King James, around here we use the New Living a lot um, just because it's easier for people that don't know anything about God to understand. But it picks up on, on some great modern uh, evidence that, we have, uh, that they've uncovered. This idea that Capernaum was Jesus' home is right here. So he comes home. Now what do you do when you go home? I go home to a house. Right? Perhaps Jesus was in his house when this occurred. Luke 5 verse 17 picks up the story. One day while Jesus was teaching. What was he doing in his home? Teaching. Some Pharisees and teachers of religious law were sitting nearby. Everybody say sitting. Sitting. All right. Bible school for just a moment. Jewish culture is the exact opposite in this area of Greek culture, which is what we are doing right here. In Jewish culture, the teacher sat and the listener stood. So it was an authority kind of thing if you were sitting. So imagine with that information, Jesus is sitting maybe on one side of his house. And he's teaching. And notice who might have been on the other. The Pharisees were sitting. Almost like a battle of authority in the house. Do you know what's going on in the church of America right now? It's a battle of authority. Do the Pharisees have the authority or does Jesus have the authority? Does your opinion have the authority or does the heart of God have the authority? So why were they there? They were there because they had heard these stories about Jesus, and they were doing what they were supposed to do as Pharisees, Sadducees, and Essenes. Anyway, they were there to listen to his teaching and judge it. Is this guy right? Whenever a new teacher came into a city, every city had a, had a priest. Whenever someone came in with a new teaching, they would meet with that priest. The priest would listen to their teaching. And if the priest of the city believed, are you ready? If the priest of the city believed that this new teacher's yoke was better than his yoke, he would present the person before the people, put his hand on them, and bless them, and say his yoke is easy. That's why Jesus said, my yoke, my teaching is easy, and my burdens that I put on you, they are light. But you know what the Pharisees do? They make things heavy and hard. That's right. That's true. That's true. 
So they come there to judge and listen to Jesus' message. And Jesus begins to teach. Now the word Pharisee, the root word for it, can I tell you what it means? You ready? Division. The root word of Pharisee is division. Do you know what we would call a Pharisee today? Religious. If your heart is about dividing, that's the heart of a Pharisee. I remember when my father, for those of you that don't know his story, the little snippet, I remember when my father went through a time where he was seeking God. Um, you know, that's, by the way, when you seek God, that's when you do something expecting God to respond. You don't wait on God to tell you to do something. When God tells you he's seeking you. But sometimes you just got to do something. You got to step out there. You got to say, you got to say, there's a mountain here. I got to get past this mountain. I'm going to do something. And he went crazy. He started tithing his day in prayer. Tithing, 10%. His day, 0.4 hours in prayer every day. Starting at like 5, the, the ungodly hour of 5, 5.30 in the morning. And I would go with him to the old Agnew Church. And I thought, because I've always wanted to be like Dad, you know. I'm going to pray like Dad. I made it five minutes. I was snoozing. How can God be awake at 5.30 in the morning? But then he would pray, and then he would go up to his office, and he would type on typewriters. Not a computer, a typewriter. IBM Electrolux. And he would type and he filled up a notebook. How many? One or two? Of things that God told him while he was praying. My belief that every single one of you are designed to hear the voice of God comes not only from Jesus' own statement where he said, My sheep know my voice, but it comes from watching my father fill up notebooks with statements God was telling him. And I was like, well, God, I want God to talk to me. Well, I thought my dad was a little off his rocker. He was crying all the time. He was started preaching and he would start doing this jerking thing. I would have friends there going, not now, dad. But then he told me one time, what, he, he, he nailed it down, what was happening. He said, God has showed me the Pharisee in me. And I've learned that God loves to find sin in me. And I grabbed onto that. I was like, whoa, that's, uh, um, by this time I was in Bible school and I was learning about what I'm telling you. And I was like, mm, yeah, yeah. Pharisees are divisive and they're focused on themselves first. It's what they want. Their power, their position. And they're in Jesus, get this, they're in Jesus' house where Jesus is teaching. And they're sitting there judging what he's saying. Gosh, anyway. I could meddle, but I'm going to leave it. One day while Jesus was teaching, some Pharisees and teachers of the religious law were sitting nearby. It seemed that these men showed up from every village in Galilee and Judea as well as Jerusalem. You know what? When God begins to move, the Pharisees come out of the corners. And the Lord's healing power was strongly with Jesus. Why do you think perhaps 
God's healing power was strongly with Jesus because there was opposition to the message of love. And God was not going to let Jesus down. Amen. Remember that statement. God was not going to let Jesus down. Back to Mark chapter 2. Soon the house where they were staying, where he was staying, was so packed with visitors that there was no more room even outside the door. As I was reading this this week, it reminded me of one of my missions trips in uh, Quito, Ecuador. And we went up to this church building. No, sorry, it was, it was, yeah, it was Quito, Ecuador. Um, went up there, and we had just flown in. I was tired. My buddy was tired. Our mentor was going to speak that night, so we had the night off, but we decided to go and be there and support him. And we get there, and there's, there's this building, you know, seats maybe, maybe, 100 people, maybe. And there's windows everywhere, and there was, like, nobody in there. It's kind of like church in America or Oklahoma City, you know. Everybody waits until the worship is done to show up. And that's kind of how it was there, because they're on their own time clock. We found this out. But man, by about 8 o'clock, they were hanging in the windows. They were all outside. It was crazy. And that's the night that Dr. Tunstall pulled me and my buddy up and didn't give us a heads up, said, we're going to pray for, all, for people that walk up. And I've told you the story that the guy, two sons, carried this old lady. And I'm thinking, go, go over there. <laughs> go over there. And they carried her and... In that moment, I don't know what to say. I learned in that moment that our words matter not. We think prayer is all about our words. If prayer was about our words, what I'm about to tell you could not have happened. It's not about your words. It's about your obedience. And just put my hand lightly on this person and heard five pops and they dropped her and she screamed and took off running. Found out later she had spina bifida. And God healed her in that moment. And her sons dropped her their knees, and gave their hearts to Christ. And before the night was over, I mean, we were there for hours praying for people. We had a witch. One of the city witches walked down the aisle and and throw stuff on the floor and try to do an incantation. And my mentor was just standing on the stage watching all this happen. And we're thinking, dude, what are you doing? And me and my buddy look at each other. We're young. We don't know anything. We're just full of the fire of God. And we walked over and said, not here. Not in Jesus' name. Get out of here. And she fell down and gave her heart to Christ that night. But it's not about your words. It's about your obedience. Okay? So soon, this place is filled with people. And yet, occupying the prime seat were the divisive people. But the depth of love is discovered in times of deep division. Number two that I want you to write down is that love sees mountains as mountains of opposition as moments of opportunity. Love will cause you to change your view of things that are opposing you. And instead of seeing the problem, you'll see an opportunity for God to do something amazing. When I went away and was dealing with the passing of my mom, um, one of the things that the gentleman, the counselor, was with me, I did something, I'm not going to tell you what I did, but I did it by a, a, a stream, because I love the sound of running water, um, and uh, I love brooks and the mountains and stuff, and anyway, and there was this part where the water was running over the rocks, and he just asked me, he said, when you look at that right there, what do you see? I see, 
rocks and water. And he said, why do you see the rocks first? And I said, I don't know. And he said, is it because the rocks represent your mistakes? And most everybody sees their mistakes first. And they see their mistakes as the boulders. But he said, I, just think about this. Are the rocks in the way of the water? Or is the water so powerful it finds its way around the rocks? Like, I like the sound of the last one. <laughs> and he said, that's because God love, God's love is so great and so powerful. It finds its way around every single rock in your life. And nothing will stop the movement of God inside of you. In fact... The more rocks, the louder God's noise. And I, when he said that, I said, I got a bunch of boulders. <laughs> Love sees mountains of opposition as moments of opportunity. Let's continue with the story. Some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a sleeping mat. I got to tell you a story. I'm sorry. It's just here. I got to say it. When I was in college, I learned really, really quickly not to be late for class. I know some of you went to big universities where it didn't matter. My university, they knew if you were late. <laughs> and uh, the guy who was the mentor in the story I just told you was teaching this class that I'm bringing up right now. And um, one, of, one of my buddies, his name was Danny Abels, was late for class. He had been up late and he was sleeping in. It was an 8 o'clock theology class. Next to my father praying at 5.30, doing theology at 8 o'clock, that is not fun. And Dr. Frank looked at two of the upperclassmen, Steve and Kevin, and just went like this. And they went off to, to wake Danny up. But instead, the door opens a few minutes later, and they each have an end of the bed sheet. <laughs> and they brought sleeping Danny <laughs> and set him in the middle of the floor right in front of the teacher. And Dr. Frank just let, just kept on doing his thing. And then we started noticing, and he always did this at the end of class. But we started noticing he was stacking up some books. And we were thinking, hey, we're out of here early. And he walked over, and he had lined it just right. And he dropped those things right by Danny's head. Whoo, she shot up really quickly, was really embarrassed when he realized where he was. Never missed class again. But I remember to this day when they brought him in thinking, that, what are they doing? What if he's in his underwear? <sighs> so here's that scene and these people come walking with a paralyzed man carrying him on a sleeping mat. And they tried to get him inside to Jesus, but they couldn't reach him because of the crowd. A lot of these men were the Pharisees in the house that took up room for those that needed to hear what Jesus had to say. But those that were wanting to hear that had heard the story, they were willing to stand on the outside of the house. I'm here to tell you, as the man of God here, there are people standing outside of this house in the spirit, waiting to get in, waiting to feel loved, waiting to experience God's grace, waiting to know that they don't have to be perfect to be found perfect by God, that they don't have to embrace a life of turmoil, but they can have peace in their heart and soul. Amen. Amen. 
And they were waiting. Couldn't get in. Some of us would probably have turned around and walked home and said, ah, we'll come back to tomorrow's meeting. No, we would. We've started texting. Anybody know where this is being streamed online? A mountain of people stood in their way. Opposition. But they turned it into an opportunity. Let me tell you something about houses in this day in Capernaum. They were not built with pitched roofs like ours. They were usually flat, maybe slightly angled. But, around, but the houses were built um, with multiple uh, levels. And there was always a staircase. Either on the back that would wrap around to the side. Or, or maybe it was just on the back. There was always a staircase. Okay. And um, the roofs were, were very simple, and they were made out of sticks, mud, and sections uh, of, of what, what we might call like, like plaster, if you will, that would be connected together. So um, seeing an opportunity, they did this, verses 4 and 5 out of Mark. They couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, so they dug a hole through the roof above his head. Now, I want you to play movie director for me. Come on, give me just a few more minutes. I want you to play movie director. I want you to try to imagine this. You're bringing, you're, you're, you're bringing a paralyzed person up the stairs. Maybe you're in the house and you're hearing them go up and, and they're bumping the dude on the side of the house. And maybe he's saying something like, Stop! I'd rather be paralyzed and alive than dead! <laughs> but they're determined to get this person to Jesus. So determined that they get on the house, the top of the house, and they begin to pull the sections away and dig through the dirt and the sticks. Now, what do you think happened on the inside of the house? The dirt fell. And I just think it might have been funny. It's not in the Bible. It's in my mind. So, hey, here we go. What if they dug like, oh, that's the Pharisees. That's not Jesus. And they moved to another place. Nope, still Pharisees, not Jesus. But they kept going and eventually dug through the barrier and then somehow got it big enough to take this paralyzed man and lower him right in front of Jesus. We don't need to bring people to church. We need to bring people to Jesus. But there might be some disruption in the house to make it happen. Then they lowered the man in, on his mat right down in front of Jesus. Seeing their faith. I love this. He did not look at the man and go, you have great faith. It was the faith of the friends. Who, who saw a mountain of opposition and determined it was an opportunity for God to do something amazing. And he looks up at them and sees their faith. If he looks at you right now, what level of faith does he see? Does he see faith for your bank account? Or does he see enough faith for your neighbor? Does he see enough faith for your child that is hurt and alone? Because you see, number three, love sees the real issues that are at the roots of our problem. 
The Pharisees are watching this. The people are watching this. Jesus is lowered down. Jesus looks up and sees their faith and turns to the dude and says, Your sins are forgiven. I just can't help but wonder if maybe some people in the house that day said, "Uh, Jesus, you missed it. He's still paralyzed. God, you missed it. There was only 30,000 in Norman. Because the Pharisee in us always is looking for something to point out, negative-wise. But love gets to the root of the problem. And Jesus understood his paralysis was not his biggest need. His disconnection from the Father was the biggest one. And he healed that. And that statement sent the Pharisees into a tizzy. But the Pharisees and teachers of religious law said to themselves, Who does he think he is? That's blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. Jesus knew what they were thinking, so he asked them, Why do you question this in your hearts? I want you to know, you don't even have to speak out your opposition to Christ. He knows what's in your heart. Why do you question this stuff in your heart? Is it easier to say your sins are forgiven or stand up and walk? I love this. So I will prove to you. I believe we are entering a season where God is looking at the church, primarily in America, since that's where our part of it. I believe he's looking at it and saying, get ready, I'm going to prove it. I'm going to prove it to you. I'm going to prove it to you. You sit in the corner and you oppose it. You sit in the corner and pick it apart. But there are people that are going to crawl up on the roof and they are going to rip open the roofs and they're going to rip apart the the establishment that is there because they are possessed with a love that says people need Jesus and we're going to do whatever it takes to get them there. He says, I'll prove it to you. But notice what he's proving. That the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. Jesus was not out trying to prove he could heal anybody. The greatest healing in your life is the forgiveness of your sins, not the healings of our body. Paul, John, uh, uh, the Apostle John wrote from the Isle of Patmos, I was in chains, but I was in the presence of the Lord on the Lord's day. The stuff on our physical body has no bearing on the reality of the spiritual truth that he is with us. Like we sang earlier, that nothing can separate us. That in the midst of our greatest opposition, staring at our biggest mountains, Christ is still standing right there saying, let's go. We got this. Because greater is he that's in me. Is it easier to say your sins are forgiven or stand up and walk? So I will prove to you that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, Stand up, pick up your mat, go home. I want you to notice really quickly three things that this guy had to do. The guy had to do it. All of the movies that we've seen, where Jesus takes somebody gently by the hand and pulls them. I don't believe that's reality. It's my opinion. Jesus spoke the word. 
And it was incumbent upon the dude to react. He was laying on his back and he was already healed of paralysis. But he had to move to activate it. If you are in this house today and you are hurt and you are wounded and your wounds are the mountains that's keeping you from the Father, you've already been healed of them in Christ. But you got to make some movements to activate the healing inside of you. Stand up. Get up out of where you are. I may be a little fiery right now. I believe one of the great, one of the deepest issues that is plaguing the church is grief. And I'm not talking about just grief from the passing of someone you care about. But it is a black hole of a pit that if we are not careful, will suck the life right out of us. I'm talking about grief over mistakes, grief over missed opportunities, grief over times where you felt God told you to do something and you didn't do it, and you live in this grief zone. God needs to help you heal your grief, but please understand, We may be at the bottom of a pit in grief. And Christ may put somebody in your life to drop a rope over the edge. But you got to get a hold of the rope. You got to pull on the rope. You got to activate it. You got to say, I'm not staying in this pit of despair anymore. I'm meant to run free up on the ground. And I will forever grieve the passing of my mother. But I will not mourn her another day. Some of you are still mourning her. Get over it. Get out of the pit. Don't let yourself get stuck in grief. His hope is stronger than death. Mm. Stand up. Now I love this. Pick up your mat. Gather up your junk. Gather it up. Why do I got? I thought when we repented, we left everything there. We tried to teach you repentance is not, I'm sorry. Repentance is more than just, oh, I did this and I'm going this way never to return again. No, repentance at its root is to change the way you think. And so what you got to do is the junk that reminds you of your mess, if you'll pick it up and stand up, he'll take those messy junk things and turn them into a message that he's going to use to help lower other people in front of Jesus. Some of you need to go back to go forward. You need to go back and pick up your junk and realize that your junk gets redeemed too. Pick up your mat. Pick up your stuff. And then go home. You know where home is? With Christ. We are the body of Christ that meets as New Life Church at this location. And if you need a family, Welcome home. And lastly, why is this so important? Because love turns man's mountain into God moments. Listen to the end of the story. And immediately, 
As everyone watched, the man jump up and pick up his mat. And he went home praising God. Everyone was gripped with great wonder and awe. And they praised God exclaiming, we have seen amazing things today. Do you notice what happened when Jesus showed up and proved himself? Notice that the people did not pay any attention to the Pharisees. They didn't hear a thing they were saying. Because let me just tell you, everybody knows you're negative. And that's why people don't want to be around negative people. You can come up and complain, and most people that know that you're negative are just letting it go, whoop. Because they're possessed by something else. And I'm glad that our house is not filled with a bunch of negative people. We might have some issues we got to work through. But I know in my heart that the foundation of this church is wanting to be rooted deeply in the ground of love. So I have two questions to ask you as I stop today. Two weeks in a row I've gone a little long. I'm sorry. No, I'm not. We're seating. First of all, I want to ask you that are hurt, that have your issues. You know what your mountains are. You're angry. You don't believe that God really does love you. Maybe you've been taught that you have to perform a certain way to be loved by God. Nobody taught me that, but I caught it. No one in my life would have ever said it that way. But I grew up in the church and I caught it. Because at the heart of, the, of a Pharisee is that divisiveness. And divisiveness will always pit you against love. It will always pit you against his love. So if that's you today, I want to ask you this question. What if God could move your mountains right now? What if the things that you feel are keeping you separated from his love could be healed right now, today, in this moment? What if you opened yourself up to discover not everybody is a judgeaholic? Some people have become loveaholics. And would love nothing more than to prove to you at new life. Your wounds are welcome. But here your brokenness gets healed. What if God's love could move your mountain right now? Would you go for it? Would you step up and find a way to him? Secondly, for those of you who say, I have no mountains... That's probably because you're standing on top of it. Or maybe you say, well, I'm too old to be a part of this thing that God's doing. I've done my time. I'm so glad Joshua and Caleb didn't say I've done my time. I grew up hearing preachers preach on the Joshua generation. And I always thought it was me. I never realized that someday I would be a Joshua. Because Joshua's generation was led into battle by the old guard. 
who had faith in God and didn't let the opposition of their eyes diminish their faith in their heart. And not only did, did God keep them and sustain them with strength, do you want to know how cool God was to Joshua and Caleb? They didn't have to go buy Nikes for 40 years. Their shoe, it says their sandals never wore out. Do you know that God wants to support you with an abundance of strength that will never run out? So what if God wants to use you to move someone else's mountains? What if he wants you to be possessed by love to see a paralytic man? And to know that maybe I can't heal you, but I know the one who can. And I'm going to do whatever it takes to get you to Jesus. What if God wants you to be that person? What if he wants you to step up and say, possess me with that kind of love. With a love that can move mountains. told you to put a pin in a statement earlier. I want to bring it back home right now. His love is already in you. You get to determine the depth of it. You're already, if you're in Christ, you're planted in love. But you've got to be the one that digs into it. You've got to be the one that pushes the roots down. You've got to be the one that says, I'm not giving up until I tap new water. Because he wants to use you. He wants to use this body. We're going to run out of room soon, folks. My friend Rennie, his first Sunday here, he saw it. He's like, dude, you're going to, you guys think, start thinking. We are. Praise God. Keep it coming, Lord. Until all who need to be loved and healed are made whole in Christ. Would you stand with me today? I want to ask you again. Do you believe that love can move mountains? Now, I know there are some of you here today that have mountains and have issues. And I want to encourage you to deal with those. I know there are some of you that are a little offended because as we started messing with the house, some dirt fell in your lap. Can I encourage you to stand up and dust the dirt off and let's celebrate Jesus together. And let's do whatever it takes to find the one paralyzed person in their life and bring them in front of Jesus. Father, I pray today. I thank you for our portion of the body of Christ. I thank you, God, for a group of people that are being drawn into a deeper connection with your love. I thank you, Lord, that we are learning to love each other very well because, God, your love is in us. And I thank you, Lord, that this church and this group of people has been known by their welcoming of new people as well. And, God, may our arms only get wider and may your love in us only get deeper. But Lord, some of us have got mountains that we need to have moved. And I pray today 
that just like those young men, all it took was a word. And they hung on to that word. And they saw something come to pass that others said was impossible. May we be that way as well. If you are someone, the Bible says, if you're ashamed of me before men, I'll be ashamed of you for my father. So everybody open your eyes and look up at me. If you are someone who says, I've got a mountain that I need to get moved in my life. It might be a past hurt. It, it, it might be that somebody hurt you in the church, which is a big, huge mountain, by the way. Um, it might be that someone has, maybe your relationship is volatile. You do know that love, people who love each other can be volatile with each other. It doesn't always have to be that way. My wife and I are firstborns. I love to joke that we love each other deeply and we fellowship loudly. But we've had to learn that sometimes we can spend two hours to get to the root of an issue that if we would have just not been so defensive with each other and assumed that the other person only has what's best for me and mine and I only have what's best, we could get to the stuff a whole lot easier. Last little jam, and then I'm done. I feel like the Lord, I've said everything God wanted me to tell you. How you are with someone else, though, is a reflection of how you feel about your relationship with God. Say it again. How your relationship is with others is a reflection of your relationship with God. Some of us battle God a lot. We argue. We waste so much time when, if we'll let his love impact us, he'll get to the roots really quickly. I had someone tell me one time when I had an issue that affected me recently. And when this person said this, I'm telling you right now, my flesh balled up and I got angry at somebody I've known a long time. And it wasn't daddy, just to be clear. This person, we were sitting across the table, and he said, don't you believe that perfect love casts out all fear? And man, I rose up against that, and I was like, well, God's love's perfect, but people's love is not perfect. That's the problem. I've had to go back to him and apologize. I didn't know two years ago the journey God would take me on through the book of Ephesians. Where the Bible says if you're afraid of God, it's because you're, you're fearful of judgment. There is no judgment in God. The judgment was at the cross. You're forgiven. You're loved. You're whole. That's the perfect love that casts out fear. So if God is not going to kick me to the curb, you know what? I'm not fearful of what you think of me anymore either. Kick me to the curb. I don't care. The one who matters most never did and never will. You see what I'm getting at? That's what we need to have. So if that's you, if there's a mountain in your way, all I would like for you to do is just raise your hand. I'm not going to ask you to come forward today. I just want you to raise your hand. If there's a mountain you need moved, keep your hand raised. Don't put it down. Keep your hand up. Come on. I know there's some. I'm going to give you another minute. Come on. I don't want you to miss a moment. Mm -hmm. 
and keep your hands up. And if this one hits you, raise the other hand. If you say, I want to be used by God to move someone else's mountain, raise your hand. Okay? Those of you who answered the second question, put your hands down. Those who answered the first question, keep them up. Keep them up. Keep them up. You are the body of Christ. The love of Christ is within you. Turn to someone whose hand is raised and go help move their mountain right now. Go. Move. Pray with them. Encourage them. Share what your mountain is. Be open with each other. You can't, God can't heal what you keep hidden. So share what your mountain is with someone who's coming to you right now. No one should be alone.